Church, I'd invite you to turn, if you have a copy of God's Word or on your phone, to the letter of James. As we continue to walk through it in an expository way, hoping to, to ask God to change us by it. We're going to finish out James chapter 1 today. So, we're going to be going verses 22 through the end. And I want to talk a little bit about extremes. You know, we do really well with extremes, don't we? It's a lot easier to rush way over to one side than it is to find a good balance. Um, I've noticed this in the way that they're producing canned sodas now. You can't go into a gas station anymore and get a regular size canned drink, seems like. You can get those that are super tall now, and you can get little mini, mini guys. But you can't get, like, what, what happened to our regular size canned drinks? I can't find them. Also, you know, I, I, if you remember that episode from, from the Andy Griffith Show where Barney Fife wanted to, he wanted to buy a car, so he drew out his nest egg, $300, and then he was just way, way too trusting of Miss Lesh, right? I mean, he, he let her, you know, eat his lunch. And then at the end, he learned his lesson. He wasn't going to let that happen again. And so when this other little old lady came in to, to present her car to him, you know, he accused her of being in a, you know, in a, in a racket, you know. See, just, we don't do well with balance, we do really, really well with extremes. Um, I've seen this work out in churches. There are some churches who were so concerned about doctrine or so concerned about, I don't know, their building or something like that, so concerned about certain things that they never go out and impact their community. They never share the gospel with others. They never do anything kind of outside the four walls of the church. And then I've known other churches who are so involved in, in doing and going that they, don't, that they don't spend enough time learning about what's true and false. There are entire denominations of formerly Christian churches that have reduced the gospel to social action. As a matter of fact, there's one church, when, when it started, I listened to the very first sermon of this church. And in that sermon, the pastor said, we are not going to be about theology here. We're going to be about doing stuff. Okay, well, the problem is that's a theological statement saying that, that what's most important is doing instead of believing. And so we, we, we don't do very good with, with this balance between believing what's true, focusing on what's true, and then letting it work out. In our lives, we like to run to one of those or the other, it seems like. James today, though, has a very important word for us. And that is that true religion involves both. It involves head knowledge and heart knowledge. It involves believing what is true and then turning around and doing what is true and right and good. Perhaps you've heard me use these big words before, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy means right belief. Orthodontics means right teeth. You know. Orthodoxy is right belief. Orthopraxy is right action. 
Okay? It's what you practice. And so if your orthodoxy is bad, then your practice is going to be bad. And if your practice is bad or not correct, that's evidence that maybe there are some things you're believing in your orthodoxy that are, that are not correct. And so these two things march hand in hand. They have to go together. We can't separate the two. It's not as if never the twain shall meet. And so both are important. Let's look to the scriptures here in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Listen to what he says here. I love this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Why don't we back up and look at verse 21 from last week? Let's look at verse 21 from last week again to get a little bit of that context. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and do what? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So, 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 so there's the doctrine. Receive the word, right? Listen to what the word has to say. Believe what is right. Receive the implanted word. Why? Because it's able to save your souls. And then he gives a warning. But wait a second. But be doers of that word and not hearers only, comma, Deceiving yourselves. In other words, the way to deceive yourself is to think that you're spiritual because of what you believe. But the way to true religion is to gauge how much of this stuff do I believe? Well, how much of it do I believe is gauged by how much of it I'm doing. How much of it I am working out. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For, this is purpose statement or explaining. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Wow, that's heavy. Look at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. God, it's appropriate to pray now because we've just been confronted by your word and we have some temptations. Our temptations are to be perhaps to tune out or to think of something else. Our temptation might be to, to, to harden our heart and not receive the implanted word, not to receive what you have to say to us today. Or our temptation might be to, to say, you know what, this sounds like it's going to have to deal with me. Uh, I would rather just kind of uh, not listen to what's coming up. But Lord, I pray that instead we would respond in a softness and suppleness of heart so that we might be able to become more like your son, Jesus. God, by the gospel, would you help us to work out what has been worked into us by your Holy Spirit? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So looking back at verses 21 and 22 again, I've entitled this little section, No Fruit, No Root. And I have to give credit to, to, uh, to another person. I, I learned this first from a professor in college who we were going through 1 John. You know, 1 John uh, tells about what is an authentic faith. What does an authentic faith look like? And it says you have to have fellowship 
with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the fellowship that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ shows that you have fellowship with God. And all of these other things, if you're walking in the darkness, it's evidence that you're not of Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're walking in impurity or all kinds of, you know, if you're being, as what James would say here, if you're stained by the world, if you're living in all kinds of worldliness. And so uh, this professor summarized this truth that is communicated all throughout Scripture and particularly in places like James as this. No fruit, no root. Or bad fruit, bad root. In other words, the fruit that our lives produces evidences what our root, what kind of soil our root is in. Is it in Christ or is it in some other kind of source, some other kind of soil? I want to ask you if you see the contrast here. You see this in in verses 21 and, and 22. It says, Therefore... Verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. So living a life, living a changed life, a life that runs away from worldliness, that is the kind of life that is receiving the implanted word. There's, there's no way, in other words, to do both at the same time. There's no way to say, I have received the implanted word. I have received God's word into my life while you're living consistently in a way that is opposite of what God says is good. Religion that is, I'm sorry, um, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In other words, the, the kind of saving faith that comes through the Word of God is the kind that runs away from filthiness and rampant wickedness. And I would just say this to you, if I could plead with you. We need to resist the temptation here to think that it's possible to be okay with God while we are continuing to practice things that grieve His heart. And if we ever find that, that that temptation has cropped up in our heart, we're in danger. We're in danger of what it says here, of deceiving ourselves. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are prone to deceive us. So we have to be very careful. And it's, it's not too late to turn back. I can hear an objection perhaps cropping up in your heart or in my heart. Well, well that would be embarrassing. It would be embarrassing for me to turn back from from the, the life that I'm living? How, how, can I, how can I explain this to my girlfriend? Or how am I going to work that out with my boss? Or how am I going to make that make sense to my family? Or what will my friends think? And to these objections, Jesus would reply this way, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The mark of a believer is repentance. It's turning back, yes, believers will fail. Oh, they will fail. I fail, we fail, we will stumble, but believers repent. Believers turn back, says in Matthew 3, 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, and then secondly, I would encourage you to do this. Push back against the casual attitude toward God that our culture has. Push back against this casual attitude. You know, Miranda Lambert sings this song, and, and in this song she says about Jesus, you know, she, she really makes some interesting theological comments about him. I would encourage you not to get your theology from country music. Um, 
you know, uh, where I come from, it's uh, cornbread and chicken. Where I come from, a lot of back porch sitting. Where I come from, trying to make a living. And what? Working hard to get to heaven. Where I come from. Friends, if you're working hard to get to heaven, you will never get there. Because Jesus did it all. It's not based on our works. Don't get, anyway, that's a, little, that's a little sidebar. Don't get your theology from Alan Jackson. All right? But anyway, Miranda Lambert, who is equally uh, not exactly a theologian, she says this about Jesus. I bet he'd understand a heart like mine. This, this idea about who God is and who Jesus is, that he's just kind of here to accept me for, for how I am and to pat me on the back and to punch my ticket to heaven. But the reality is, Jesus is actually better than that. He actually loves you more than that. Yes, he will meet you wherever you are. Yes, he will come to you in whatever kind of filth you've covered yourself in. Of course, he will, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Jesus didn't come to understand you. He already does. He already understands you because he created you. Jesus did not come to understand you. He came to save you and to change you. Why? Because he loves you more than we're tempted to believe. He loves you even more than this. He will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there. Secondly, we need to learn that this is more than mere study, verses 23 through 25. In other words, head knowledge is not enough. Listening to the Word of God is not enough. It's not enough just to congratulate ourselves for coming and being around the Word of God, although that's necessary. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad for those who are watching online from home. But the sum of our religion is not learning. It's got to be more than that. The sum of what we believe is not just hearing. It's got to be more than that. Listen to what it says here in, in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... Okay, so James is not condemning hearing. He says you need to hear. You need to gather with the local church to hear the word of God because our hearts are prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You must be around the word of God. You must be intaking it personally in your daily life. He's not saying that it's anything bad to be a hearer. He's saying that it's bad to be a hearer and not a doer. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, here's the thing. It's tempting to think that something spiritual has happened because you felt something during a sermon. It's tempting to think that something spiritual happened because you felt convicted or because you felt assured. You, you felt assurance build up in your hearts. And that's certainly good, friends. That's certain, we want that. We want our, our souls and our hearts to be rightly affected by the Word of God. But that's not the end. It's easy to think that something spiritual has happened because you feel something in your quiet time, or your Bible study, or, or, your, or during a sermon. But the spiritual work is only complete when you act on it. The spiritual work is only done when you act out of it. So, how do you know how much of this stuff you believe? Well, say, I believe all of it. You know, I've heard people say, I believe the Bible from the title page through the maps in the back. Okay, then show, 
Show that. Show me that with your life. Real religion is worked out. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2, which we're, we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Of course, that's not in, in James 2. That's in Philippians for my last book. But anyway, that's in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Imagine a surgeon walking into the operating room and you're there. And I don't even know if this is how it works anymore. I think they probably put people under before the surgeon even walks in. But anyway, imagine a surgeon walks into the operating room. You're, you're about to have a valve replacement or something on your heart. And, and uh, right before they put you under, you're, you're trying to calm your own mind and you're trying to lighten the mood. And you look up at the surgeon and say, hey, uh, <laughs> sir, doc, you've, you've done this before, right? I mean, this isn't your first rodeo. And then he looks back at you, serious as a as a heart attack, and, um, and he, says, he says, no, I haven't done it yet, but don't worry, I just left my office where I read the manual. I know all about it, right? You would not have a lot of confidence in this surgeon's ability. Why? Because you don't care what he knows, you care what he does. You care what he knows enough, he believes it so deeply that he has worked it out with his hands. That's what matters. That's where the rubber meets the road. So you say, oh, I believe the gospel saves. Well, have you shared it? Oh, I believe you should love your enemies. Are you doing it? Oh, I believe that we should care for the poor. Have you cared for the poor and the widow? Oh, I believe I should disciple my kids. Well, are you having like a family devotion time? We can tell how much of this stuff we believe by how much of it we do. And that, friends, if you don't hear anything else, is the point of this sermon. So, James closes in the last two verses with a neat little tidy summary, okay, of what he's saying. So he kind of recaps everything in two verses, and this is incredibly helpful. Verses 26 and 27. Listen to what he says here. If anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. So there's, there's, there's a connection to anger, right? Anger in, the, in last week's uh, sermon. Now it's about the tongue. Usually if someone has a, an angry heart, they'll have an unbridled tongue. They'll say things that are not appropriate because they're feeling and, and believing things in their heart that are not appropriate. So the, the, the heart is attached to the tongue. If anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, this is what true religion is. We need to take a time out here because I've used this word a lot, religion, right? And there may be some of you who are thinking, I actually don't think it's proper to use the word religion, right? Because in the last 15 years or so, it got very popular, got very, this little catchphrase got very popular to say, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Okay. So we need to deal with this a little bit because actually the scriptures use the word religion here. Um, 
It's true that, that there is a, a kernel of truth behind that little catchphrase. You know, Christianity is not a religion, it's, it's a relationship. But we need to explain this. Some think religion means working to get to heaven. Okay. If that's what you mean by religion, then yes, Christianity is not a religion. If you mean by religion, working hard to get to heaven where I come from, like, you know, country music world theology. If that's what you mean, we should definitely, we should definitely be against this kind of religion. Others think religion means rules. You know, following rules. If I just follow enough rules, God will look at me and, and then he'll accept me. It's kind of like working to get to heaven. Uh, they want to make sure we don't understand Christianity as dealing with, with rules. The problem, friends, is that Christianity does have rules. The rules don't save you. We, we don't get accepted into the gates of heaven by how well we follow the rules. But Christianity does have rules. Think about it. You know, if you want to talk about a relationship and religion, relationship and rules, any relationship that you have, if there are certain rules that you break, the relationship can break down. There are certain rules that you break with your husband or wife, and it will affect the relationship, right? So every relationship has rules, and so there's no, there's no kind of separation between these things. Others seem to think that religion means that there's nothing personal about it. They, they want to emphasize that God is personal. He's come near. He's like my, my personal Savior. As a matter of fact, we've used that word for, for decades and decades, saying you need to have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. And you do. And you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. One word of warning that I would give, though, is that our culture seems to be very comfortable with the little personal, like I have my own little personal Jesus. Like he's almost whoever I want to think he is. I get to recreate Jesus in my own image. I get to have my own personal God. We hear people say things like, well, the Jesus that I serve wouldn't believe X, Y, or Z. Friends, we don't get to preside over who God is. He is who he is. And yes, he has made himself near to us. Yes, he wants a personal relationship with us. But that doesn't mean that we're in the driver's seat. He is God. He is always in the driver's seat. So I think it's, I think it's safest to say that Christianity is a religion. It's just the only true one. It's the one that says, not what every other religion in the world says, that we are trying to climb the ladder up to God. Christianity is the one where God came down and condescended to man. He did the work instead of we had to do the work. Christianity is deeply personal because God gives life on an individual basis. This is one of the main reasons why I'm a Baptist. Because we don't come to God based on the family we are in or based on any other thing. We come to Jesus Christ one at a time, personally, through personal conversions. That's what Baptists have historically believed. Christianity is also deeply religious because it involves actions. It has to manifest itself in our lives. And friends, this is why I'm so excited about our effort that's now going to be next weekend, Love Trenton. We get to put some hands to the things that we say, the things that we believe, and the things that we sing. And so I, I so hope that you'll be able to join us next Saturday at 10 a.m. and Sunday at 1 p.m. as we pack and as we deliver uh, so that we can show our community that Jesus loves them and we want to tell them that message so that we can have a practical way to work this out. So true religion for James involves three things, and this is how he seems to close. First, it involves an inward change. 
Listen to what he says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In other words, a new pattern of life, an inward change has taken over. God is not interested in just cleaning up your exterior, putting some new paint on the siding. He's interested in doing a full-on renovation, a full-on restoration. A new pattern of life has taken over. Listen to how Ephesians 4 speaks of the change, of the old way versus the new way of life. Now I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Listen to how it speaks of them and how it speaks of how we used to be. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, which just means living for whatever feels good. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. So here is the new pattern of life. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members are one another of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Have you... Have you, have you harbored a bitterness in your heart? Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Are there temptations in your life that, that you're really kind of leaving, letting the devil just kind of keep his foot in the door? You're trying to hold it shut, but, but he still kind of has a little bit of a foothold or a, or a beachhead into your life. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him do labor, honest work with his own hands. It says down here in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And this is a command of the Lord. Listen to this command. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. You have to have this disposition of heart toward other people. Forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, the old way... He listed those things in, in verses 17 and through 19. The old way was like this. This is what we used to be, but the new way, now we have been changed because Jesus has come in and has reoriented our life. So, true religion has to have inward change. Secondly, it has to have outward action. Look what it says here. Visit the orphans and widows in their, in their affliction. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Listen to what Matthew 22 says. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, you can sum up the entire Old Testament by these two things. And then Micah 6.8 reminds us, Has he told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So, true and undefiled religion has an inward change. It involves outward action. And lastly, it, it bears with it a hatred of sin. 
a hatred of sin. Look what it says here. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and the last little clause in the, in the whole chapter, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is worldliness? I'll finish with this. Kevin DeYoung has defined worldliness as this. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Friends, are you more at home with the world or are you more at home with the kingdom of God? I pray that we as a church would be more at home with the kingdom of God, that we would be running from worldliness, that we would be discharging what we believe through action to love and to benefit our neighbors and to the ends of the earth, and that we as a people here would be experiencing inward change. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to respond to the Lord when we're done. Would you pray with me now? God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to look to your word. It, it has a tendency, Lord, to get right at what it is that we're dealing with. Lord, I don't know all of the hearts. I don't know all the, the situations here. I don't know what, uh, what things um, have, have landed on folks differently. I know how you uh, certainly uh, you know, ministered some, some conviction to my heart this week as I was studying this passage. But, but Lord, the reality is there is something that each of us should do from your scriptures every week. Lord, whether that's inward change, we need to, to come to you and say, Lord, God, you got to change, you got to root out this in my heart, you got to root out this pride, you got to root out this bitterness, you got to root out this anger, you got to root out this lust, or whatever the case may be, if it's inward change or if it's outward action. Lord, I, I haven't been sharing the gospel. I haven't been evangelizing. I say that I believe that gospel saves, but, but God, I haven't, been, I haven't been telling others about Jesus, or, or, or whether it's a hatred of sin and a worldliness that, that maybe we've been walking a little too close, we've been a little too comfortable with the world and, and we've drifted from, from what seems right uh, as, as defined by the kingdom of God. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that today we would respond in the ways uh, that you would have us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.